There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. FWeekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1024, December 25th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say Leclerc out at Ferrari. A beat bull is top kimchi. Willie Weber is feeling down. Morning has broken. The Irish bird has spoken. We shall explain, as always, gladly. Back to you, sir, the top cat of podcasting. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to the entire F1 Weekly Familia. Zach Brown, man, he didn't get writer's cramp this weekend. He wrote a long letter to everybody involved, and he sees Red Bull and AlphaTauri as an unhealthy relationship in Formula One, and he wants it ended immediately. Fernando, to continue for two or even three more years at Aston Martin. And will LCH be patient enough with Merck and Toto for that eighth driver's championship? And this week's interview, ladies and gentlemen, down from the archives again, Rene Arnoux from 2009 at Le Mans with Nasser Hamid. They were waiting for their croque monsieur and talking about Dijon Prenois 1979. Nasser will explain. And just a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we do need your contributions to keep this program up on those servers. So just click on the support F1 Weekly tab. I know deep down... You feel guilty and you really, really want to. And, Nass, you got to admit, it's been a great 2023. It's coming to an end. Merry Christmas to you and your family. How are you? Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas to you and to all the F1 Weekly Familia. This is our last podcast of 2023. So we once again take the time to thank everybody for their support. And it has been a fantastic season. I love it. Who would have thought one driver will win almost all the races? Uh, so, domination or no domination, I always enjoy Formula One and other form of motorsports. And how about you? What? How do you look at the season briefly? Oh, it's just been a wonderful season. We expected dominations. We we got more than just domination, and the the, the great race in Baku, the heat. I mean, everything. It was exciting. And we're going to have more of that in 2024 because really the cars are not changing for a while still. So it's going to be interesting. We'll see if porpoising comes back because we had it pretty well under control. But it's going to be fascinating to see what Mercedes does because they have made a lot of promises. 
And we know what happens when you make a lot of promises. So Nasser, yes, we've had a great season, and I'm really happy to be here at F1 Weekly. Yes, sir. And you know, promises are like records. They are meant to be broken. And hope that's not the case for the sake of LCH number eight. But I don't think it's happening in 2024. But anyway, sir, I mentioned Leclerc out at Ferrari. Okay, to stop the panic attack, let's start with the situation. This is true, but it is Arthur Leclerc, not his brother from the same mother, who has been released from the Ferrari Driver Academy. Arthur was put into Formula 2 this season, along with Oli Behrman by FDA, FDA being Ferrari Driver Academy. Arthur was 15th in the championship, and Behrman 6th with 4 wins, which is very impressive for a rookie driver, and this kid is still a teenager. In my humble opinion, Oli could be the next LCH or JB from GB. Obviously, easier said than done, time will tell. But, as they say in motor racing, cream rises to the top, regardless of the flavor. And Jacques Clair, who engineered Jacques Villeneuve to his World Championship in 1997, has been appointed as head of the Ferrari Driver Academy. No wonder heads are rolling. Ferrari young drivers have included talents such as Lance Stroll, Mick Schumacher, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Giuliano Alessi. Not exactly the next Raikkonen or Alonso here. As we can see, FDA does not have the same sharp eye for racing talent as Red Bull Junior program under Dr. Marco. They have gone to the depth to discover talent from the torpedo to the max. And speaking of max, this was funny stuff, uh, Mr. Rogers. Rental car company told him, can't go for that, no can do. I'm sure you've read this. Three-time world champion took his entourage of 20 friends to Faro in Portugal. They were going to rent cars and do a lap or two of the Portimao circuit, which is a very beautiful circuit in the Algarve region, and hosted a Formula One race in the COVID era. The Red Bull Honda driver wanted to rent a Mercedes AMG GT, which can go up to 195 miles per hour. The rental car company told him that insurance policy prohibited drivers under 30 years of age to drive this beast. Surprisingly, Max did not throw a John McEnroe-style tantrum or treat rental agent like he treats Jean Piero Lambesi, his race engineer. Now, Mr. Rogers, have you ever rented something like a Matra Simca Bagheera or a Bugatti Veyron? Or did your insurance company also tell you, you don't have that much? Liberty, liberty. Yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I went out and bought a Matra Simca Bagheera when I was young and full of vigor, which was exciting. But it's typical. Come on, guys. Rental car companies, I don't even think you could rent a Honda until you're 25, Max is 26, they are very serious about this stuff. Max should have gone to the Mercedes dealership and said, here's my check, and just bought one, and he would have had a great time. Yeah, but the uh, company has now said, uh, well, in future, we will make an exception. Obviously, you cannot tell a guy who is three-time Formula One world champion uh, you can't drive this car when he's driving much faster cars. But these things happen, and it, I'm glad it happened in the off-season so we have something to talk about. 
Okay, sir. Now we go to this is not confirmed, but this is reported from multiple racing outlets. Take this job and shove it. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. A woman done left and took all the reason I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. FIA Sporting Director Steve Nielsen has uh, basically resigned from his position and we are waiting for confirmation from FIA and this gentleman had this post before but according to reports looks like uh, he's butting heads with powers that be or his ideas are not being implemented so he's saying you know see you later uh, and Steve Nielsen has been around for a while in the world of motor racing he has previously worked for teams such as Lotus, Terrell, Benetton, Renault and Williams. So a lot of shaking and baking going on at uh, FIA. And I just have a feeling that there is bad blood between FIA and Formula One. And Mr. Mohammed bin Sulayem has to be careful what he says and how he makes his next move because we know how the Piranha Pool uh, operates. Do you have any thoughts on this, sir? Yes. Well, the FIA have gotten a little out of control. And let's not forget, they are simply there to come up with, enforce, and police good regulations that make sense, common sense, as a matter of fact. And they've been doing this for, I think, about 100 years. It's a good organization, but sometimes they get a little uppity because they've just watched too many John Wayne movies. They need to delete two words from their rules and regulations, track limits. Gracias. Okay, sir. 2024 is almost here, and we have a few launch dates. And boy, are we excited about the new season. Who can it be now? I think most of the season, Sergio Perez, a.k.a. Checo, will be the hombre who will be checking out the rear wing of the Red Bull, I should say, of the other Red Bull during the races. One of their main challengers will be Scuderia Ferrari. They will launch their red Machina on February 13th, I believe is the date. Before them, two other teams will launch their cars on February 5. Williams is one of them. JV was their last world champion in 1997 and their last Grand Prix winner in 2012 was, this is not a typo nor audio blip, Pastor Maldonado who beat Machismo and Iceman for his hot one in the Spanish Grand Prix that season. And same day, Sauber will kick off their launch in London Town. The Stake F1 team will feature well-done Finnish Stake, aka Botas, and medium-rare Chinese flying Guan Yu Zhou. Sauber has seen some good days. Kimi Raikkonen made his Grand Prix debut and exit with the same team. And Bobby Vinton of Motorsports, Robert Kubica, gave them their only blue velvet evening in Montreal in 2008. Hate to say this, I am not expecting any major improvement from Williams and Sauber in 2024. It will be nice if Logan Sargent can out-qualify and out-race Alex Albon a few times. Otherwise, Sargent will hear, 
Logan, this is James. Walk this way and let me show you the exit door. What say you, Mr. Rogers, on the uh, launches and the Williams and the Sauber saga? Sauber is sort of a neutral company now. A lot of people have questioned why they even exist, and I understand that. But there is, we have to wait for Audi to get their stuff together so they can come in on the new regulations. So we'll just have to deal. But Botas is very entertaining, and so is... Uh, Wanju, so I think I think it'll be fun to watch. The Ferrari package will still be strong, so I believe Sauber could look pretty good. And Williams, they're going to be Williams. I mean, they've signed Sargent for another season, and he, he brings a little package, so it'll be interesting. All eyes are up front, ladies and gentlemen. Fernando, LCH, Max Verstappen, and Leclerc. Yes, sir. Next we move on to Koreans are coming. Monsieur Cyril Abitbul, BFF of Christian Honor, has been appointed president of Hyundai Motorsports, which is based in Alzenau, Germany, about half an hour from Frankfurt. Once you go F1, you can't go back. I will not be surprised in the next few years if Cyril brings Hyundai into Formula One, possibly branding an engine from Elmore or Mechachrome or some other company. Uh, but something will happen under his reign. Right now they are big in WRC. I personally think they should not come in as an engine supplier and with their own chassis. Just come in as an engine supplier, get that running, and then they can outsource to Orica or the Lara or whatever and get a Formula 1 car built. Or they can buy Alfa Tauri or some other team. Last year, Hyundai was number four in global car sales behind Numero Uno Toyota, Volkswagen Group, and Honda. Mr. Rogers, here's the question. Would you like to see Haas F1 powered by Hyundai, or do you prefer Caterham powered by Kia? Both are same group. Kia, you know, Hyundai, Kia, they're both under the same umbrella are a very good company. They sell a lot of cars. They make a lot of money. And I think they will be in Formula One eventually because they want to put their stamp of authority on making cars, unlike Red Bull, that only make, hey, they make a championship-winning car and a good soft drink, which really irks Mercedes. I Trust me, the soft drink thing irks Mercedes. But there it is. It's going to be exciting. I'm a big Hyundai got kind of guy. I mean, their electric cars are iconic. Yes, sir. And the, the, the designs of Hyundai and Kia cars are very, very beautiful. Okay, sir, moving on. Willie Weber fuming at himself. Michael Schumacher's teammate Rubens Barrichello was told meeting him will not do any good to Michael or Rubens. So the two-legged Rubino has been unable to see his prancing horse partner. But the message to the man who discovered Michael Schumacher and gave him a free ride in his F3 team, because Michael told him I don't have the budget and guided him to fairy tale heights in Formula 1, is very simple. Access denied. And this is not a message uh, from Google Chrome, but this is a message from Mrs. Corinna Schumacher. Willie Weber used to own a chain of hotels and a racing team in German Formula 3. What pissed off Michael's wife was the fact Mr. Weber did not visit Michael in the hospital. Weber's side of the story is, based on initial reports of the injury, he thought it was not serious. 
By the time the seriousness of the situation was revealed, it was too late. He was, re and this is a very sad situation from all sides. Um, he was recently interviewed by a German publication, Express.de, for Deutschland. He said, and I quote, Of course, I regret it a lot, and I blame myself. I should have visited Michael in the hospital. It hits me incredibly hard, as you can imagine. I moaned like a dog after the accident. When I think of Michael now, unfortunately, I no longer have any hope that I will see him again without positive news after 10 years." End quote. You know, according to uh, Corinna, Michael's wife, in the Michael Schumacher documentary, which I will be surprised if you tell me you have not seen, Michael used to say to her, private is private, and she plans to keep it that way. The best way we can do is respect their wishes. Would you like to add anything on this issue? It's, it's such a tragic affair. It's a terrible story. And since none of us really know and will never know what the situation is, I say give Karina her peace and quiet and let's just leave them all alone. Yes, sir. Now we come to Morning Has Broken, Mr. Jordan Has Spoken. Morning has broken like the first morning. Now, Mr. Eddie Jordan, who is not shy to express his opinion on any issue, was recently asked about the McLaren team and their two young drivers. And this is what he said about Lando Norris. I quote, Lando continues to be a breath of fresh air, really owns his good performances in a modest way, and probably a bit hard on themselves when things aren't going so well. But great to see someone who's so open and so honest. End quote. Now, last year, and not last year, but 2023, this year I was convinced after the performances in the first few races and podiums that Alonso will win a race, which did not happen. Gracias, senor. Pachismo, Mr. Rogers, Lando Norris has come close once or twice to winning a race. Do you think he will break his duck in 2024? I do. I do. The McLaren is close. They're really working on matching the DRS phenomenon on the Red Bull. So it's going to be very competitive. And, and ladies and gentlemen, Red Bull will have bad days. I mean, it's just the way it is in the world. And McLaren has been pushing and pushing, and I'm very impressed. Uh, there's going to be a lot of copycat Red Bull stuff on the on, on the entire grid, so that's going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, Lando is up there. He's a great driver. He's just a little sensitive. Okay, EJ on the Aussie mate Oscar Piastri, this is what he had to say, and I quote, Oscar for me was sensational. For a rookie like that to come in and do what he did against somebody with the outstanding talent of Lando Norris, and we all know about how quick he is. The car has to be very nicely balanced. End quote. What about Piastri? He got a sprint race win. Do you think he will get a full Grand Prix win this season? It's possible. It depends on where Aston Martin is, and it depends on where Mercedes is, because we know where Red Bull is. So, we'll see. I mean, obviously the motor in all those cars is going to be still Mercedes. So it's going to be very exciting and it's going to be very, very competitive. And Ferrari, they've got to be a little more aggressive this season. Less, less slowness, less reliability and more wins. Yes, sir. And speaking of Ferrari and McLaren, how the mighty have fallen. 
The last time a Ferrari driver won the World Championship was 2007 with Kimi Raikkonen, and the last time a McLaren driver won the championship was 2008 with LCH. And going back to Eddie Jordan, my favorite quote from him is, Egos in Formula 1 are so big, you can float the Titanic on it. And that was very, very interesting. And speaking of Titanic, uh, shall we bring uh, uh, Mr. Rene Arno into the palatial studios because his Titanic moment came in the 1982 French Grand Prix. Shall we do that, senor? Oui, monsieur. Yeah, this conversation took place at uh, 2009 Le Mans 24 hour race. I was leaving the track on it was Saturday and the last food stand was pretty much empty. So I was very tired and hungry. So I walked in, ordered my Le Big Mac avec fromage and I'm waiting. And then a young lady and a young guy, I mean, he looked like mafioso, young and oily hair and dark glasses like FBI. And some guy wearing a Peugeot shirt, whom I recognized immediately. And I said to him, René Arnoux, Dijon Prenois, 1979. Man, he just came up to me with a big smile. He said, best race in the world. So I asked him, hey, can we do an interview after you eat? He said, no, we can do it right now. So we're standing in the food line and I'm doing this brief interview with him, which I really enjoyed very much. And uh, of course, you know, he was a very quick driver. He won the very first Grand Prix I ever went to. Monza 1982, and then drove for Renault, Ferrari, and Ligier, and some other teams. You know, he's still around. He's involved in some watchmaking business near Paris, and he's very happy doing this. So let's uh, listen to him, and then we will delve into Motorsports Mondial. And he's closed right up on Villeneuve, and he's going to try again. They're coming into the start of the last lap behind Jochen Maas in the A2 Arrows. And Arnu does it, does he? And Villeneuve locks up. And Villeneuve has had to go wide, and Arnu's on the inside as they go round Villeroy. He's got the shorter line, he's got second position. He's got second position, he's through, they bang wheels. He's off, he's off, and he's back again. René Arnu, his name will forever be linked with one of the greatest battles in the history of motor racing. And we all know what we're talking about. <laughs> we certainly do. Dijon Prenois, 1979. Arnu was born in Grenoble and started racing karts in Italy and he's fluent in Italian and he used to do commentary for Italian TV for years and years, maybe still doing it. In 1977, he won the European Formula 2 Championship over Eddie Cheever and Didier Peroni. His first Grand Prix win came in Brazil in 1980. He also won races for Ferrari and these days he owns several indoor karting centers in France. And interestingly, this conversation took place while both of us were waiting for food at a trackside restaurant. And this was my basically last stop before I left the track. And I saw him standing there with his daughter. And I just, you know, pounced on him. I says, hey, Dijon Prenois, 1979. And he goes, best race in the world. So that's how we started talking. So I asked him, hey, can we do an interview after you have eaten? He said, no, we can do it right now. So <laughs> this interview was in the food lane of a trackside burger joint. And it was very nice talking to him, enjoyed the conversation very much, and I thank him for his time, and hope our listeners enjoy a conversation with the man who was involved in the pick-up battle at Dijon, 79. Thank you. Okay, folks, I'm here with the man who was involved in Dijon, Prenois, 1979. Best race in the world. This is René Arnaud, and what kind of a race was this? It was the best race in the world in 79 with Gilles Villeneuve and René Arnaud. And that's you. I love that race. We talk about it all the time. 
question is, did you ever have any concern that the car will break down or something will go wrong and you will not finish the race? Oh, I think uh, each driver asks a lot with by the car. But, uh, you know, when you are in the middle of the crowd, it was exactly the, the day we asked everything we have the, the car it was the car was perfect uh, but my uh, my car especially my car the, when i i passed the starting grid it was destroyed uh, but uh, i finished the race and uh, i said to my car thank you very much to give me this possibility to finish the race with Gilles. now you were good friends with Gilles. what did he say to you after the race after the race a lot of people said you finish with a the box and uh, I we have a very uh, straight and straight and it was uh, Gilles was a big smile and me too uh, the man was not really appear but this race was Jabouille because nobody remember is that he was winning the race and uh, everybody speak about the duel before Gilles and me after the race yeah you know that was the first turbo win what is Jean-Pierre Jabouille doing these days uh, it was uh, for Renault and every, for the sponsor was fantastic day because uh, Jean-Pierre wins the race, I finished third and uh, it was a very good result for the first time with Renault with the turbocharged engine. The problem for Jean-Pierre, it's, uh, we, we cancelled the victory yeah. about uh, the name of Mr. Jabouille because uh, everybody was speaking about uh, uh, these five laps before the end with Gilles and René Arnoux. But the race is the race at this time. Now, if you if you do the same thing, you have uh, five years with you uh, in uh, commandy prison. In yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Okay. 1982 Monza. You won the race. I was at that race. The question I have: I was watching the BBC coverage recently, and um, you know Murray Walker, the English commentator, he said that Rene Arnoux on that Renault weekend with Renault, you had lunch with the Ferrari team. Is that correct? No, 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 I don't have a lunch with the Ferrari team. Uh, but uh, in Monza, uh, the sport director of Ferrari, after the last practice on Saturday, said uh, Rene Arnoux had signed with Ferrari for next year, 53. And uh, I remember one thing in Monza, very interesting, because I win the race. I think that second was Tambe and the third was Andretti. Right. And the second and the third was two drivers uh, of uh, Ferrari. Yeah. And uh, on a Monday morning, I see the newspaper in Italy. He said, free uh, free Ferrari driver on the podium. Yeah. Because at the end on Saturday, the people of Ferrari said, René Arnaud has signed for 83. <laughs> it was a nice... Uh, same year, 1982, at uh, Paul Rica Circuit, you won the race over Alain oh, yeah. Prost. Exactly. Question for you. Were there team orders for you to slow down? Did you see the sign, or what's the story there? Yes, but I have the same contract about uh, Prost and me, not second and first driver. And, uh, you know, when you have a possibility to drive to drive and to win the race, exceptionally for this, my birthday, oh, 4 really? July, was my birthday. 4 I July is your birthday? And I, I, yeah, exactly. And I win the race and I said to Pros, bye bye. <laughs> Ciao, bye bye. Okay, I guess he was not a happy camper. 
Uh, it is his problem, not my problem. But my problem was to win the race. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are you are you uh, in touch with uh, Alain Pros or um, you guys don't talk to each other now? When after? Uh, these days. These days. Today. Are you friends with him now? Yes. Sir. He's not. He's not my best friend in Formula One. Uh, I prefer Mansell or Berg, Gira Berger. Gilles was a very good driver and very good friend of mine, but he's not here. And uh, but um, I check his hand, and that's all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now uh, um, these days you are running a couple of karting places in uh, France. Uh, do you are you involved in them uh, on a daily basis? You you have karting centers in France, right? Yeah. Are you? Three, do you four, four, four yeah. Do you go there on a regular basis? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I stay with the, uh, when the company uh, ask uh, if I have a, I, I have if I possibility to stay one or two hours. I stay with the company and I, I run and I. It's really interesting. It's always uh, the go kart. It's it's my life. When I start to drive, it's the best school to go kart. A lot of people in Formula One start to buy the go kart. And uh, sometime I drive again. Yeah. Going back to Dijon 679. Have you ever listened to uh, the BBC commentary with Murray Walker? He's off. He's on. Have you ever listened to it? Oh yeah, I see. Uh, I have the the last five laps with uh, uh, voice of Murray Walker. It's really interesting. Everybody was very exciting, like the driver in the car. <laughs> Looking back on your career, apart from Dijon 79, what other moments stand out for you? Now? No, no, when you, uh, in Formula 1, when you look back, what other good memories you have apart from Dijon Prenova 79? My best memory is uh, to work with, uh, some, uh, with some mechanics, engineer, and uh, when you, you must to drive, uh, to, to race, but the best thing for, for me in Formula 1 is before the race to, to work with the, with a very strong engineer where we a very strong mechanics and uh, I uh, I was uh, was mechanic before and uh, I have a very very high respect about these people and this is my best time to see in Ferrari the people we build the car Ferrari build 100% of the car and I was a lot, I spend a lot of time in the factory to see to see the people to work on each part of the car. This is interesting. That's where I met you in September 1982. Uh, question: Didier Peroni, were you friends with him? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about him as a person? Yeah, I was a good friend with with Didier too because we raced in Formula Two together. Uh, but I I don't stay in Formula One in the same team with Didier uh, because he have a big bad crash in Hockenheim. But he was a good friend of mine. That's that's all. Thank you very much, Merci. What a pleasure to meet you, Rene. Thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. We'll be back after these brief messages. Uh, I am Rene Anou, and you must to listen like me, F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. In now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial. With the king, the sultan himself, Nasser Hamid.
Thank you, sir. And I say greetings and racing regard from the past to the present to the future of motor racing and Formula One in particular. And sir, today we're going to present part two of... Purple Haze is the saga of drivers who got into the best car of the season and thought they were on their way to achieving their lifetime goal of becoming world champion. Then they saw the name on the other car in the garage and heard voices in the corridor saying, Dream the impossible dream. We start with the German Blitzkrieg as Sebastian serves extra sauerkraut on the Barbie. In the 2010 season, Ferrari and McLaren both won five races each. But it was a Red Bull driver who won the driver's championship. For most of the season, it looked like we will have the first world champion from Australia since Alan Jones in 1980. Mr. Webber was making his mark. Even the media was urging Red Bull to back him to win the championship as he had a pretty big lead over his young teammate, her Sebastian Fettel. But the little drummer boy was marching to his own tune. With three races to go, the Formula One circus came to the inaugural Korean Grand Prix. By this time, Weber had four wins and Fettel three. But Machismo was the man in Yong M, and Mark Weber ran into Dean deep kimchi as he spun out. I think that's where he lost his championship. Fettel won the next round in Brazil and the final showdown came down in Abu Dhabi. Mark Weber was looking good and so was Fernando Alonso for championship number three. Before the race, Sebastian had not even led the championship once. In the race, Vitaly Petrov poured some vodka in Fernando Alonso's paella and his dishes were done. And Mark Weber's championship hopes were grilled well done as Sepp took the victory to lead the championship for the first time and become the youngest ever world champion. In 2013, Red Bull had the most dominant car throughout the season. Weber was totally off the mark and failed to win a single race while his teammate won 13 races, which included last nine races of the season. And that was a record that Mr. Max broke this year. 2013, Sepp took his fourth successive championship with the British-based Austrian-owned team. Weber, nevertheless, had a great racing career. He missed out on the Formula One World Championship, but took the title in sports car racing with Porsche. Plus, Mark Weber has successfully become the Willie Weber of Australia, craftfully taking his client Oscar Piastri from Alpine to McLaren. Purple Haze continues with Mass Exodus, the spirit of 76. This was a sad story for German driver Jochen Maas. In the 1976 championship, he finished ninth in the standings with 19 points. His teammate, Mr. Never at Dull Moment, James Hunt, won the championship and in line with his lifestyle, scored 69 points, winning six races, while best finish for Jochen was third in South Africa and the Fatherland. Now we come to my favorite. Where is the winning car? You remember that, sir? One of my favorites. Yes. 
These famous, famous words were spoken by Signor Enrico Zanarini in defense of his client and our favorite Fisico, in other words, Giancarlo Fisichella. In two years that Renault was teammate to Fernando Alonso, this was the score. In 2005, Machismo won the championship with 133 points, while Fisico collected 58 points, making him look like Lance Stroll of the day. Alonso went two in a row in 2006 with 134 points, while his teammate scored 72. Signor Zanarini also managed Eddie Irvine and Vitantonio Liuzzi. Next, we come to Champ to Chump. This was the story of the 1972 season at JPS Team Lotus. They took a driver who had come to England in 1969 without speaking a word of English and made him a Grand Prix winner at Botkins Glen in 1970. And in 1972 made him the youngest Formula One world champion of that time. And of course, name of the driver, Emerson Fittipaldi. MO won five races and scored 61 points. His Australian teammate Dave Walker, who had won the British Formula 3 championship, failed to score a single point in the same championship, 1972. Mr. Rogers, is there any justification for a teammate being so out of touch with what's going on in the other car? Sometimes these drivers are so talented that the closest thing is still not getting close. It's a tough business, Formula One, but that's what makes it exciting. Exactly. Now we come to young MC Moment, Bust a Move. Recently, this story is from RacingNews365.com, so credit where it's due. They talk about certain drivers who did not make the smartest of moves. Daniel Ricciardo, Red Bull to Renault 2019. This is like ste stepping out of a limo to ride a greyhound on the Hudson River line. As Christian Horner put it, Daniel was running from a fight, and we know where the fight was coming from. The fight was feisty, and the heat was hot. Excellent references available from Gasly, Albon, and Checo. The flashpoint and point of no return was the clash with Max in Baku. Honey Badger had another 25 million sweet reasons to move to Renault. He is now back in the Red Bull family after a brief stopover and pushover at McLaren. He may win a race or two if and when promoted to Red Bull as teammate to Max. But chances of winning the championship against him are lost at sea like Mr. Harold Holt. And now we come to the man who wrote the book on such issues. Maybe not the book, the encyclopedia. Fernando Alonso, Ferrari to McLaren 2015. If Arthur C. Clarke was a motorsports journalist, the Odyssey of Man from Oviedo will be part of his mysterious world. Fernando Alonso won two back-to-back -back titles against the might of Michael Schumacher and his red Ferrari. That was in 2006. And here we are heading into 2024 season, desperately seeking third championship, while his 2007 teammate has the same number of championships as Michael. There were close calls, but no Havana cigars, both at McLaren, Mercedes, and Ferrari. The mojo of McLaren Honda and a very large payday was enough motivation to get off the prancing horse and re try to relive the halcyon days of the 1988 season as a McLaren Honda driver. And we all know how this deal ended up. McLaren paid Honda over $20 million to pack it up and leave their working building. 
That engine is now working wonders in the back of Red Bull, delivering three straight championships to Max. Perhaps Alonso could be sitting on Fangio's number if karma was on his side. But that's the way it goes. Any comments, uh, Mr. Observation, on this issue, Mr. Rogers? Well, I, you know how I feel. You're better off asking your buddy Joylan Palmer. Oh, that should be a great conversation. Okay, now we move on to... Yeah, this, this is... Well, I don't even know what to say here. But anyway, from Midnight Express, we go to Madness Express. Indy Next, or Indy NXT, previously known as Indy Lights, is the American version of Formula 2. Basically, the final frontier before the promised land of IndyCar racing and the big one at the Brickyard. So it's a pretty important series. So what is happening here, sir? Here is a driver signing that passengers on the PC gravy train will be proud of. Miss Lindsay Brewer from Denver is going mile high and will race an Indy next in 2024. We interviewed this young lady earlier this season when she was competing in USF Pro 2000. Hi, I'm Lindsay Brewer. Congratulations to F1 Weekly for 1000 Podcasts. She finished solid 18th in the championship with 108 points. The driver who finished 10th, and this is driver who finished 10th, he scored 206 points. The championship-winning driver Miles Rowe scored 391 points. So if you are scoring 108 points and the championship winner is scoring 391 points, you're finishing 18th and moving up to a series. After just one season in that particular series, I think what we have here is a Lady Lance Stroll situation or something close to it. Mr. Rogers, we have a question brought to you by Chuck E. Cheese. Do you think Lindsay will get a call from Roger Penske saying, Hey baby, you're the one I've been looking for since Rick Mears. What say you? Yeah, it's a tough one, but everybody wants to be politically correct. And she's a nice lady. You're right. She's part of the F1 Weekly Familia. We support her. But in the end, I mean, I don't know. It could be because she's good looking. Maybe she's a good talker and talked her way into from 18th to being promoted, basically. It's fascinating, but in the end, she's going to have to prove herself next year. And maybe she could, you know, maybe not get a call from Roger Penske, but she might get a call from Roger Revlon. Or maybe Aaron Rodgers. Exactly! They can both look at their Achilles heel. Yes, absolutely. Okay, sir, speaking of driver signing, there will be two American drivers in a French team in the 2024 F2 Championship. Juan Manuel Correa and Jack Crawford will be teammates at Dam's team. Juan Correa is the driver who survived a horrific accident at Spa some years ago in which French driver Antoine Hubert lost his life, and this was in a Formula 2 race as well. And Jack Crawford is the young man from Texas who was released by a Red Bull Junior program this year. The A in Dam's is for René Arnoux, and the D is for Jean-Paul Rio. Both Partners went separate ways many years ago, and Monsieur J.P. Drio passed away not too long ago. Today, the Dams team is owned by ex-F1 racer Charles Peake. Sir, you remember Charles Peake, and we also interviewed him in his uh, Happy Those days. Of course, a fellow French guy, nice gentleman. We'll have to bust that interview out very, very soon. Okay, and sir, we are recording 
Fair Fund Weekly is a fund weekly service, literally and figuratively. So we are recording this on Christmas Day. And so two drivers, Formula One drivers, appeared in this, made their Mondial debut on Christmas Day. They were born on Christmas Day. One is Wilson Fittipaldi, brother of Emerson Fittipaldi and father of Christian Fittipaldi. Wilson and Emerson started their own Formula One team based in Sao Paulo and named after their Brazilian sugar company sponsor, Copper Sucar. There are some interesting stories about this operation in Joe Ramiz's book as he worked for the team. And one which I remember was Joe talking about some situation where it developed into an argument and Emerson said, tried to set something and Wilson said, Emo, shut up. And that's his older brother. So, and Emerson has gone on record saying starting his own team was the worst decision he ever made. I mean, this could, guy could have won four or five championships too. And so the other gentleman born on Christmas Day is Senor Giancarlo Baghetti. He is a one-hit wonder, but the wonderful thing about his one hit was it happened in his first Formula One championship race in nine, 1961. And that was the French Grand Prix driving the beautiful Carlo Kitty design shark nose Ferrari 156. And Mr. Rogers, your birthday is when? Uh, the month of Indy 500? May 23rd, sir, just like Rubinho. Yes, that's very good. So there we have Mr. Rogers. That should do it for this edition. Any Anything you want to say? Any observation? Looking forward? I'm looking forward to Dakar very much so because that will get the motorsports juices flowing in high speed. And that's what we want. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to Max's fourth Drivers World Championship. It'll be exciting, and I want to wish everybody a happy New Year. The next podcast will be in 2024, so I wish everybody meilleur vœu. Let's hope that 2024 is exciting as 2023. Yes, sir. I think the 2024 World Champion is already decided. I just would like to see maybe Piastri and and what's his name? Uh, Landon Orders get their first wins. That will be good. And if uh, Red Bull and Honda and Max would allow that, that would be very uh, trifle polite of them. And don't forget Fernando. We need to see that win come back. And if the Aston Martin's competitive, maybe Fernando will have a shot at the world championship up against Max. So there are possibilities for some fundamental F1 surprises. Yes, um, yeah, that would be great. Him just winning a race would be an incredible achievement after all these years. You know this guy, Tom Coronel, we could have used this as famous last words. Uh, he basically was talking about the two drivers at uh, Aston Martin, and he said about uh, Lance Stroll that he is nothing but just a spoiled kid. And uh, He said he's quick, but he's just a spoiled kid, which may be true. But sir, talking of uh, possibilities, you know the Mercedes car... They had brought in James Ellison, I think, um, late last year or sometime this year to help with the situation, which led to Mr. Mike Elliott leaving the building. I think this will be the first full, uh, and I think Toto has gone on record, this will be a totally new car. This will come under the direction of James Ellison, and I have a feeling that they will have a car. I don't think they will topple Red Bull. It will be great if they do, but I think they can trouble them in more than a few races. That's what I feel, and time will tell. I agree. Just to let everybody know, I heard through the grapevine that the W13 is heading to 
Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Well, it won't be going to MoMA in New York, New York, that's for sure. Exactly, and wherever it goes, it goes slowly. You know what they should do? They should um, enter that card in historic events with sponsorship from Waste Management. <laughs> that's a low blow. Well, it's a little bit higher than their performance. A little bit, that's true, but well said. I'll send that little message to Toto. Let him know, Toto, it's humor. Thank you, Michael Massey. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening, for contributing, for helping us stay on the air. I love you guys. Happy New Year. We'll see you next year. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.